Bible. We're going to be in Exodus chapter 18 today. Exodus chapter 18. It's good to be with you. Um, I asked permission to tell this story before I, I, I tell it, so I want you to know that just in case you think I'm the worst husband in the world. So what happened is um, I, I, we were, Judson went out of town. He was with his grandparents, and um, he was in Pensacola. So Amy and I decided we need to do some things around the house because we, when you don't have a seven-year-old, you can do a lot more stuff, okay? I mean, seven-year-olds are great, but they require your attention, okay? Even if it's like, hey, look at me, look what I'm doing. And you're like, cool, I've seen that, but all right, love you, man. So he and so we got some few things done, and, and I was feeling pretty good. And so we went outside, and I was going to pressure wash the house, okay? Best laid plans. And so I'm out there, and I pop, I pop in my headphones, and they're, they're, they're pretty noise-canceling. And all of a sudden, my wife turns the corner, and she has been screaming and crying for me for about 20 minutes because she was doing too many things at one time. She, had, she was on the top of our steps, and she had a a corded hedge trimmer in one hand with the orange cord hanging down. And then she had this big rake in the other hand because she's going to do some work in the flower beds while I was pressure washing. And so as she was doing this, and if you know Amy, God love her, she's got so many good qualities, but bounce is not one of them, okay? And so she falls down our brick steps somehow. She doesn't know how she did it. And she's laying on the ground, and she's bleeding, and it's a real bad scene. And she's screaming my name for 10 minutes, and I'm over there like, because I can't hear her getting the pressure washed going. So she decides, after about 10 minutes of hysterical yelling, because she thought her leg was broken, because there was a big dent in it, and there was blood everywhere. She thought, I have to get to him. So she takes the rake like a Civil War crutch, and she walks to me around the house. And I am so shocked by this, because all I see, I'm, no, I'm going to pressure wash, listening to music. All I see is my bloodied, hysterical wife coming around the corner like, help me! I'm like, what did you do? The problem is trying to do everything yourself. Too many things at one time. And I want you to know something. The Christian life is exceedingly difficult. In fact, it look, if you look at it, to follow Jesus almost seems impossible. But here's the cool news and the good news, that we are not called to do it alone. We need other believers in Jesus. We need other people. As we walk this life of faith, we need people in our life. And that's what we see in the book of Exodus chapter 18. The people of God, especially Moses, he needs somebody as a friend, an encourager, a companion, and somebody to 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 lift him up and it comes in all places of his father-in-law so if you would turn to exodus chapter 18 and today we're going to do this i want you to get this this is the main point is every believer every follower of god every child of god needs godly believers needs to have friendships and a relationship with godly believers and it needs to be a part of your life too many of us try to live solo and when you live solo it's a mess And so we're going to see this in Exodus chapter 18 through a guy named Jethro, okay? Fantastic. This is perfect for a Tennessee Sunday, a guy named Jethro. Exodus 18 verse 1 says this, Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, heard all that God had done for Moses and for Israel, his people. How the Lord brought Israel out of Egypt. Now Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, had taken Zipporah, Moses' wife, after he had sent her home. Now, I just want to get the story. Moses, remember, he was an Israelite. If you remember back in the beginning of the book of Exodus, 
Pharaoh was trying to kill all the firstborn in Israel. And so his mom put him in a, this was the safest thing that she could figure out to do to save him. She put him in a wicker basket and sent him down the Nile. Okay. Desperate times call for desperate measures. If you're wondering if that's good childcare technique, it's not. Okay. All right. Look at that. Okay. It's like, like leaving your child unattended in a pool in a, in a picnic basket. It's not a great idea, but they had reached the point where all the firstborn are being killed. So she sends him down. He ends up growing up in Pharaoh's household. And then he realizes he has this dual identity. His mom was able to be a part of his life. And so he realizes that he is also an Israelite, even though he's been raised in the courts of Egypt. And one day he saw an Egyptian soldier assaulting a Israelite. And you know what he does? He gets mad and he kills the soldier. Because of that, he has to run away and flee. And while he's fleeing, he runs into a lady named Zipporah. Apparently, bad name, good looking lady, because Moses liked it, put a ring on it. Okay. He married her. So he married Zipporah They had two kids and his father-in-law is Jethro. So apparently Moses, when he went back to Egypt to let the people go as God's call, remember the burning bush incident, and he's going to be God's chosen man to lead the people out of Israel. When he shows up, apparently Moses, it it was getting too hot and there was, he was concerned about their safety. So he sends his family. We don't have a whole lot of record of this, except for right here in Exodus. He sends the poor and the two boys back to live with Jethro. That's one to give you the backstory. So then we pick up in verse three. So Zephora is coming back with Jethro and to meet up with Moses in verse three, along with her two sons, the name of the one was Gershom for, he said, I have been a sojourner in the land. So that name means Gershon sounds like sojourner. Also, verse four, it says in the name of the other Eleazar, for he said, the God of my father was my help and delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. So there's this little parentheses where you understand his kids' names and what they mean. The names have significance in Hebrew. Verse five says this, Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, came with his sons and his wife to Moses in the wilderness where he encamped at the mountain of God. This is probably Mount Horeb. It's not Mount Sinai because they go to Mount Sinai in chapter 19. This mountain is the one where Moses hit the rock and water flowed out of the rock. And it's the place where God met with the people. And so that's what we got. Jethro has been watching out for Moses' family. I mean, Zipporah is his daughter. And he's bringing, and now finally, after the God has saved the people out of this, out of Egypt, after he's crushed Pharaoh's army, after he has fed them in the wilderness with manna and quail, after he has given him this water, now Jethro comes to meet with Moses and to bring his family back. It's kind of one of those reunited moments, okay? Reunited, and it feels so good. And so we get up here in verse, thank you for that trickle laugh. Um, verse six says, and when he sent word to Moses, I, your father-in-law Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and her two sons with her. Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and bowed down and kissed him. And they asked each other of of their welfare and went into the tent. Now, that's weird, okay? Because you think about it. Who does he go? Who does the Bible focus on in that passage? He hasn't seen his wife and kids you can go ahead and there's, you can read between the lines. He probably hugged them too, okay? And loved them too because he loves them enough to send them away to be protected while he's doing all this work for God and getting the people out of Egypt, okay? So, but what does the text focus on? He sees his father-in-law and he hugs him. He's like, man, I'm so glad to see, let's talk, let's chat. There's an emphasis here in the text, okay? So I'm not just pulling this out of context. This whole passage is about the relationship of Jethro and Moses, 
that these men, they are connected by family ties, okay? But there's more than that. He's the priest of Midian, so obviously he has a relationship with the one true God. And they are going to talk about all that God has done together. They get together, and so when he saw when they saw each other, it was like, so glad to see you. I could, and you've probably seen this before. Um, there was a, when I was in seminary, my wife and I were, when we went to seminary, we had a Sunday school class that we always went to, a small group that we always got together with every Sunday morning. And this was a fantastic thing because all the people were displaced from different, different people, different groups. Okay. And we had all the SEC, okay. The, uh, the football teams represented in this, this class, except for Vanderbilt. Sorry, Vandy. Okay. Vandy was not there, but we had Ole Miss people. We had people from Mississippi state. We had, we had people from Florida fans like me, Auburn fans like me. We have, don't hate me now. Okay. And then we had, we had Tennessee fans in the class we had er- the whole sec was represented we all were in the same boat too we were po okay that means we couldn't afford, afford the last two letters we were just po okay and we all were struggling together and as soon as we went to seminary all these health problems hit we're all in our early to mid-20s and all these health problems hit us all and it was just this really difficult season and so those people we became so unbelievably close with that six years later i'm sitting in jacksonville florida at a pastor's conference and I see across the room one of the guys that I went to seminary with. And I stand up. I don't tell anybody about it. And I just start running towards him. <laughs> and he starts running towards me. And he's a lot bigger than I am. And so I jumped on him. I'm like, Trey, it's so good to see you. And people are like, this is weird. I know. I love this guy because we have been in the same boat. We got the same passions in life and the same goals in life. And so that's what we have here with this, with Jethro. He sees him and he hugs him and there is this connection. And verse eight says, and Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and the Egyptians for Israel's sake, all the hardships that had come upon them in the way and how the Lord had delivered them. And Jethro rejoiced for all the good that the Lord had done to Israel in that he delivered them out of the hands of the Egyptians. And so Jethro, in response to this conversation in verse 10 says, blessed be the Lord who has delivered you out of the land of the Egyptians and out of the hands of Pharaoh and has delivered the people from under the hands of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all God's because in this affair, they dealt arrogantly with the people. And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and sacrifices to God. And Aaron came with the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses' father-in-law before God. So they see each other. They talk about what God was doing in their life. Then they go to this place where they praise God with these sacrifices. And then they invite everybody to enjoy and minister together this party in the name of God. And so that's what, that's what we have. This, so the, the Exodus story has this friendship in the middle of it that is supposed to help us. Now remember, the Exodus story and what God is doing in the people of Israel. 1 Corinthians 10, 6 and, 6 and 11 says this. All these things took place, the Egyptians wondering, Moses and the people of God. All this took place as examples for us. That we might not desire evil as they did. And the verse 11 said, the, says about these things, these, these wilderness wanderings. Now these things happened to them as an example or type. But they were written down for our instruction 
on whom the end of the ages has come. So if we right now, that's for believers in Jesus, these stories are not just stories that we hear about that actually happened about God's deliverance for this people of Israel. Now, now as us being part of the family of God, being engrafted in to this family, to be put into the family of God, these stories help us to know how we ought walk. And if the emphasis and the point in this passage is the relationship between Jethro and Moses, I think we can extrapolate and understand this, that we need Every believer, every follower of God, every child of God, you need a friend. You need friends, family in your life who are believers who will point you towards Jesus. And you can have this type of relationship with them. I'm going to give you a few reasons why you need this from this text. First off, here's the why. We all need a little help from our friends. The Beatles knew it. I get by with a little help from my friends. Why don't Christians understand it? We need it. You know, let me give you an example of why we need help. When, when Moses was in a dangerous situation where he's leading the people, who does he trust to care for his family? He trusts his father-in-law. And he sends them there. Moses is not like, I will protect you. I have the staff of God. He trusts Jethro to care for his wife and two kids. That is an immense trust to send your kids over there. Okay. To, that, that, that's immense to send your wife for somebody to, be, to take care of them. Okay. That is, that is, that is real trust and there is help needed. So here's what I want you to get. We all in our Christian life, we need help. Every one of us, we don't like to ask for help. Gentlemen, do you like to ask for help? Do you like to ask for directions? Do you like to think you know better than the GPS? I do. I was late for camp this year, about 20 minutes behind the rest of them because I knew better than the GPS. My wife's sitting there with me going, you should follow that. I'm like, I'm smarter than Google, Amy. Okay. And that was not the case. Okay. We all need help. There are things like we need help grading the driveway. We need help somebody to hold the board. We need to help home improvements. Okay. We need help with stuff going on in our life. And I'm going to tell you this. Especially, I'm going to speak to you men out there and to you ladies. It is very, we are very connected, but we have very little connection. You know that, right? We see all what's happening in the world of social media, Instagram, Facebook, whatever you have. We know a lot about what people are doing, but we don't know a lot of people. We don't have a connection. In fact, there was an article in Men's Health that came out in, in I don't read that magazine, but I read this article, okay? Um, the Men's Health magazine in May, I just want to be clear. Um, this article came out in May that talks about one third of men are incredibly lonely. And it's true because there is a lack of friendship that is available. And a lot of times we know people, but we don't have a connection with people. And Jethro and Moses obviously have the connection. They have this where they're going to help each other, where they, this is a friendship, not just based on common interests, but now there's an actual care and concern that you will help each other. And we all need help. And you know what? Church is a great place to say that because you know, you don't show here, show up here because you're perfect, right? If you do, you came to the wrong place. You showed up here because you're broken by sin and you need a savior. And Jesus is that only savior. And he's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. He's the great physician. He is the one who was with, who walked. He showed us how to do ministry because he walked with 12 dudes for, his, for three years, they were together all the time with his disciples. We all need help. 
And Jethro Jefford offered that. That's why we need believers and relationships in our life. B, I want you to see this. I want you to see this, that we need, why do we need relationships like this, Matt? To encourage and share with each other what the Lord has done in our lives. Look with me in verse seven. When Moses went out to meet his father-in-law, he bowed down and kissed him. So this is a close relationship. Give each other a hug. They embraced and they asked each other of their welfare and went into the tent. Now, let me just go ahead and tell you like this. When you see kissed him. Okay. In here, culturally different. If I went and kissed someone in Tennessee, kissed another day, like I kissed Baron, it would be weird. It's not what we do here. Okay. But I give, I see Baron, I'm going to give him a handshake and a bro hug. Okay. You know what that is, which is like, yep. Okay. You just pat him on the back a little bit. That's totally cool. That's a normal thing. So don't get locked. Don't get messed up with this. He's talking, this is a culturally appropriate greeting for someone at that time. If you go to some, you go to Europe, you're going to get kissed on the cheek. It's going to make you uncomfortable, but that's the truth. Okay. If, if you're from America and you're coming from Tennessee, you're like the dude kissed me. Okay. I just want just to be clear about that. So but it's a, it's an expression of greeting. And so we see in verse seven, then they asked each other of their welfare. How are you? And this is not that type of how are you, which we expect everyone to say, I'm great, brother. How are you? This is like legitimate, like what's going on in your life? How you doing? Tell me about it. And they went into the tent. So now they go sit together and they share some time together. And here's what Moses does. Verse eight. And Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and the Egyptians for Israel's sake. He talks about God's great and mighty works in his life. Secondly, we see this. And he says, he talks about all the hardship that they had come upon them. So this is not how you do it. I'm great. And your world's crumbling. This is a real connection conversation in which we see Jethro and Moses talking about all the difficulties that have come upon them. And it says in in verse eight, all the hardships that had come upon them in the way and how the Lord had delivered them. Talk about how great God has been, how difficult life can be and how God brings deliverance. That was the content of their conversation. Verse 9, what does Jethro do? This is not a frenemy situation. This is not one of those situations where you hear what God's done and they're being braggadocious about it and you do that just so you look better than the other person. This is legitimate connection rooted in a a knowledge of God. And verse 9 says, And Jethro rejoiced for all the good that the Lord had done to Israel in that he had delivered them out of the hands of the Egyptians. So what happens? We need somebody in our life to encourage us and somebody that we can talk about, multiple people we can talk about, what the Lord has done in our lives. Let me ask this question. Who do you talk about your relationship with Jesus with? Like You may have, and here's the thing. Some of you there are like, I'm off the hook. I'm not lonely. I'm connected. But then this. How many of your conversations and your relationships go deeper than just common interests or just the generic talking? This is a call and, and it, it's called by this example for there to be a conversation where you talk about your faith. It's uncomfortable. You know, we've been told don't talk about politics or religion, but you know what? 
A relationship with Jesus is something that you should, you ought talk about, and we have to work to remove the awkwardness. Do you know how you remove the awkwardness? By doing it. There's no other way. It's really weird. How you doing? How's your faith? What has God done in your life? That's uncomfortable questions to ask. It's going to get weird. Okay, because you usually realize, how's the game? How's the fam? This food is good. This goes deeper. Secondly, let me ask you this. Who do you share with about what God is doing in your life? Who is it that you share it with? Now, this can be a spouse, definitely. But it also should be other people in the family of God, those who know God, that you talk about these things and you have to make a concerted effort to talk about them or you never will. How are you doing? We need this on our life because you know what it results in? What does Jethro do after this conversation? He's encouraged in his faith and he worships God. Look with me in verse nine. And Jethro rejoiced for all the good that the Lord had done to Israel. He rejoiced. He's joyful for what God has done. This is a worship time. Worship does not just consist of singing songs or listening to the radio with worship songs. Worship is your life. Worship is showing how much God is worth in your life. Worship can happen when you speak praise. Worship can happen when you pray. Worship can happen when you're in the word. Worship can happen when you're working because you're working as unto the Lord, not as just unto your employer. Worship happens all the time and worship should happen more verbally sometimes times than it actually does because it's real awkward sometimes when we're singing it's okay to do that the beat helps the the lyrics help we already know what to say but sometimes we need to speak praise to god and that usually begins in a conversation with somebody where we hear what god's doing in them and then we it reminds us what god's doing in us and there's this connection and there's praise that happens and so what happens now the third thing I want you to see why you need this is not only you need the encouragement, you need this relationship to talk about your faith, but listen, talking with your godly friends, family, it often leads to worship, growth, and ministry. What happens with Jethro? He's like, how good is God? Then look in verse 10. And Jethro said, blessed be the Lord who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hands of Pharaoh. And has delivered the people from under the hands of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods. So this is worship. God is greater than all gods. How great is God for his deliverance? And now, verse 12. And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and sacrifices to God. And Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses' father-in-law before God. Now here's the thing. In their particular context, in, in, the, in this wilderness wandering of Israel, the way they worshipped, or part of the way they worshipped, had to do with animal sacrifices. Bless God, Jesus was the once for all sacrifice, and so I don't have to get my hands dirty. I don't know if I'd be in ministry if I had to slit goats' throats and burn doves. That would not be my deal, okay? It'd be like every day you're like cleaning the deer at church, okay? That's what it would look like, okay? Not what I want to do. That this, this place down front, we got juice and bread and not blood and guts, okay? It's good. But for Jethro at the time, the way to worship, it, was, it cost him something because he brought these animals that were to be a burnt offering to the Lord. The burnt offering meant to symbolize praise going up to God thankfulness going up to God. As the smoke of the offering went up, it meant to symbolize praise going up. 
sacrifice, these other sacrifices, they were meant to, to be for the covering of sins. And it was, a, it pointed to Jesus, right? The once for all sacrifice who would really cover sins. Cause how could the blood of sheep and goats cover sin? They never could. Jesus was always being pointed to here. Remember this is shadows and examples of what's to come. And so what happens is after they have worshiped verbally, then they enter into this ministry and this outward act of worship. Okay. Where they, they do these burnt offerings and this is in front of the people. And then it says in the end of verse 12, Aaron came, he was one of the priests with all the elders of Israel. So all these people have gathered together to minister together and to worship together. So this this created a party for the Lord. And then it says this, to eat the bread with Moses' father-in-law before God. So part of that sacrifice went to the priesthood and the elders there. And this, then they get to after. So what happens is after they have this conversation with Jethro and Moses, and they are just talking about how great God is, and this worship wells up in them, they share this worship out in ministry to other people, including the people of Israel. And they all share together in what God is doing. And I want you to see this, that one of the reasons you need godly relationships in your life is you need people to spur you on towards worship and service. And you won't do that in the same way if you don't have people in your life like that. It's just not how we're supposed to operate. It's not how they operate in Israel. And it's not how we operate in the church. We need people to spur us on to faith and good works. We need those people in our lives that will help us. And our relationships, if they are rooted in Christ, will cause us to worship and to serve and to grow and to minister. How many of us have grown without the help of someone else? Mostly no. Usually growth happens in two ways. It usually never happens through being comfortable, right? Growth happens through pain and through other people helping you all the time. That is usually the way of path of growth. There's other ways. God is sovereign. He does different things in our lives, but that is the way it happens. And so I want you to see this. We also need finally here. Why do you need relationships is we need somebody to speak into our life. Okay. Now by that, I know that sounds maybe churchy. You need somebody who is able to tell you you're being an idiot in your life. You know that, right? Because even if you don't think you're being an idiot, you can be an idiot. And by idiot, I mean being sinful because sin is always dumb. Okay? It always looks good and it always never delivers. And so you need somebody to speak into your life. And that is what happens in this passage. So we're going to read a lengthy section. Follow along with me. This is super important. Follow along with me what happens. Okay? So they've worshipped. They've ministered together. And now Moses got to get back on the job of leading this two million people God's people towards the promised land. Verse 13 picks up the next day, Moses set to judge the people and the people stood around Moses from morning till evening. Now this is not because immediately you said judge the people. What is he talking about? It's not like, man, you look jacked up. Okay. This is like the people, there's 2 million of them. Obviously there will be some conflict that arises, maybe some property disputes, maybe they're being too loud in their tent. I can't sleep. Okay. All these things are happening in this situation. That's what he's trying to, he's trying to make peace. Okay. In Israel and make sure justice happens. Verse 14, when Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people, Moses was running himself ragged. So he said, what is this that you are doing for the people? Why do you sit alone? And all the people stand around you from morning till evening. That sounds terrible. 
that sounds like working customer service at Walmart. And like somebody bringing back, like, I have a used shower curtain. You got to take it back. And you're like, I don't want to. It sounds like a bad deal. Okay. It's like working at the DMV. It doesn't sound like fun. Verse 15. And Moses said to his father-in-law, because the people came to me to inquire of God. The people are coming to, to, to get God, get justice from God or get a word from God. Verse 16. When they have a dispute, they come to me and I decide between one person and another. So he's like small claims court. This is not fun. And I'm, and I make them know the statutes of God and his law. And Moses father-in-law said to him, what you're doing is not good. You got to have somebody in your life. Maybe multiple people in your life that, you know, love the Lord who can say that to you when you will listen. What you are doing is not good. Because sin blinds us. We, are, we have blind spots all over. We drove a van to camp. This particular van uh, was a Chevy Express, and the people we rented it from named it Doris. It's awesome. So we had everybody in there, and it had the blind spot detector. You've seen this before on a car? When a car would approach your blind spot, it would go, dee, 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 and it makes sure that you don't turn into that car in the blind spot, which is cool, especially because Jimmy and, uh, and Mitch were driving, and they had like 14 kids in there, and everybody was like, ah! Like, I mean, the noise level was crazy. And so that little blind spot assist would help them to do that. You need brothers and sisters in Christ who we have a relationship with are like blind spot detectors. Okay. They speak the truth and love to you. And they're like, blind spot. Hey, you don't see that you're being mean to your wife, idiot. You're being really selfish. You're doing too much work. You got you to gotta calm it down. You need a Sabbath day. That's biblical. Okay, you got to have that. And that's what Jethro's doing. Is like, you're going to kill yourself. You're going to kill yourself. What you're doing is not good, man. Verse 18, you and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out. For this thing is too heavy for you. The burdens of ministry are too heavy. The burdens of life are too heavy. Verse 19, now obey my voice. I will give you advice and God be with you. You shall represent the people before God and bring the cases before God. And you shall warn them about the statutes of the laws and make them know the way in which they must walk and what they must do. Teach them God's word. Be their go-between. However, moreover, look for able men from all the people, men who fear God, who are trustworthy and hate a bribe and place such men over the people of chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, of tens, and let them judge the people at all times. Every great matter they shall bring to you, but any small matter they should decide themselves. So it will be easier for you and they will bear the burden with you. If you do this, God will direct you. You will be able to endure. And all this people also will go to their place in peace. This ministry that God's given you, share it, which is a biblical note. Remember, this is an example of types. Listen, The work of the church is not supposed to be done just by the pastors and the elders, right? You get that. That's biblical. It's supposed to be entrusted by the pastors, elders, evangelists, apostles to the people for the work of the ministry. This is two New Testament principles I want you to see. 
2 Timothy 2, 1 and 2 says this. Paul's talking to Timothy. says this. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Jesus Christ. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others. Doesn't that sound a lot like what Moses was doing? Find faithful men and trust them with responsibility and let them do the work, okay? Find faithful women and trust them with the responsibilities different than the men's and let them do the work of the ministry. That is what... Jethro is saying that's a New Testament principle, and we see it again in Ephesians chapter 4, where he says this, and this is a good word for the church. And God gave, he gave the apostles and the prophets and the evangelists and the shepherds and the teachers. What is their job? To do all the work? No. Verse 12, to equip the saints, to make them ready for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. We are called, and this is a type and a picture, we are called for godly relationships, and we also need someone to speak into our life and to tell us, especially in ministry and the church, where our blind spots are, and to encourage and equip others to do the work of ministry. And listen, one or two of us, five of us, 20 of us doing the work is nothing like all of us doing the work together. That's what God called us to. And this, it's in these friendships and this ministry that we, we work that God does big, huge things. In 2012 in San Diego, they had a fireworks show on 4th of July. You can go look this up. And I, I ask you to do this because it is awesome. They accidentally set off all of their fireworks for the 4th of July from San Diego. It's a big place at the same time. It was amazing. It looked like a mushroom cloud. It was the people sitting, there's these people, this video that is like real close. There is these people sitting on a shore and then there is like a body of water. And then there is like this sandbar out there. And that's where they're shooting the fireworks from. And they set them all off at once. And the people, it was kind of dark and it's lit up like noon. It is a huge, massive eruption of fire and flame. And it is, it, I bet you, you can see that from Jupiter. It was huge and it burned forever. And I want you to get that the life of a person who's connected with other godly people and the life of a church who is not, who has connected people who do the work of the ministry together is just like that fireworks display. Like one firework, you can buy fireworks like at the 4th of July anywhere, even in states where they don't like fireworks. You can buy those little poppers. And if you throw those poppers on the ground, if it's dark enough, they'll make a little spark. Okay? Alone, we're like those things. Look at a little bit of light, a little bit of impact. I did lose a a deposit in an apartment because of those one time because they do make scorch marks on the wall, just FYI. True story. Love you, mom and dad. Um, they make a little bit. Even one firework going up. Can, like a bottle rocket or something. It's cool. But it's not much. But when we burn together with a white hot passion for God. Equipped. Called together. Connected. Worshiping together. Calling each other to growth. Speaking truth into each other's lives. But what you're doing is not good. There's a better way. We burn bright like all the fireworks lit up at one time. And that's the goal of our ministry here is to connect you to each other, connect you to Jesus, 
and connect all of us to his work in the world. And it's this beautiful, vibrant thing. And we see the type pierce. And then here's the thing. You need somebody not only that you can speak into your life, but someone who can speak into your life that you will listen to. Do you know what I mean? Because there's a lot of people that can speak into your life. And then it becomes... Or you're just going to hear it and be like, uh-huh, yeah, nope. <laughs> Hearing it all around, like, oh, I know that. Verse 24, look at this. This is, should not be underrated. So Moses listened to the voice of his father-in-law. And he did all that he said. And Moses chose able men out of Israel and made them heads over the people, chiefs of thousands and hundreds of fifties of tens. And they judged the people at all times. And the hard cases were brought to Moses, but the small matters were decided by themselves. Then Moses let his father-in-law depart and he went away to his own country. And so what we see here is someone that you will listen to. And so this is an underrated skill in the Christian life. Don't get defensive, especially if you know the person. And you love the person. You know they have your best in mind. Don't get defensive. Look for the truth. So all that to be said, that's what you need. I think this passage shows us that. We need this in our life. We need this in our church. But I also want you to see we need godly friendships. But in relationships. Here's a question. Matt, you're talking an Old Testament thing. Remember, this is types of symbols. Can you give me some New Testament scripture that back up what you're saying? Oh, I already did, but I'll do some more, okay? Just in case you're thinking like, oh, man, it's Old Testament. I want you to see, they, they connect. I want you to notice something. Who, who did ministry and relationships? I've mentioned this before. Jesus. Three years, 12 dudes. Lost one. 11 were cool. Added another one, Paul. It all worked out gravy, okay? The church spread from those dudes all over the place. Jesus' model of ministry was relational. Secondly, I want you to see this. Paul had relationships with a whole bunch of people. A guy named Silas, a guy named Barnabas, wrote two books to Timothy, loved that guy to death. He was a mentor to him, and they also became friends. Also, Titus. Paul did, had these relationships that helped him grow in the faith and helped him go, go on in ministry. At the end of Paul's life, when he thought he was going to die, who does he reach out to to bring him stuff that he needed? His scrolls and his cloak. He reaches out to Timothy in the, in the book, uh, in the second Timothy. They had a strong relationship, and that mattered. I also want you to see this, that the New Testament practice of believers, and if you look in the book of Acts, was when you become a believer, and a lot of people think, I'm becoming a believer and I could, I just, I'm going to do this Jesus thing myself, okay? And there's a lot of reasons for that. They've been hurt by people, da 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 But here's the thing. If you are called, if you are a believer in Jesus, you can't, you're not a lone wolf. You got to run in a pack, baby. That's the truth. Because when the New Testament Christians, when they got together, they got together regularly. They broke bread in each other's houses, which is a fun way of saying they did the Lord's Supper and they ate together and they had all things in common. There was a, when you got together, when you were a believer, you got together with other believers in the church. That is how it happens. Also, John 13, 34 through 35, Jesus is talking about his time when he's going to ascend to the father and he's going to say, how will people know you're my disciples? John 13, 34 through 35 says this, and a new command I give to you that you should love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another by this. All people will know that you are my disciples. If you have love for one another, and I'm going to argue this, if you don't know somebody, you can't love them. 
Like you might say, I love that band. If you don't know them, you don't really love them. Not like Jesus was calling us to love them. You can love them like you love pizza, but you can't love them like you love somebody that you know. And how are people going to know we're his disciples by our love for one another? That involves relational, like relationship love that on this level. And then Hebrews 10, 23 through 25, the writer of Hebrews says this, let us hold fast to our our hope without wavering. What's the hope? It's Jesus, his shed blood, his finished work. For he who promised is faithful, verse 24 of Hebrews chapter 10 says this, and let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works. There's a lot of people that know how to stir people up to bad things and gossip and all sorts of anger and issues, right? You know that. You've probably watched The Bachelor, okay? That's all that is. Now you're meddling, son. All right, so let us consider not to stir each other up to drama, but to good works. That's what the people in the church should do. Not neglecting to meet together. Church attendance is important. Connection is important, as is the habit of some. But encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So it's biblical. But the thing is, Matt, how? I feel so disconnected. Just keep it simple. I'll give you a few just simple things as we wrap up today of how you can connect with people. Here's the thing. I don't know who I connect to. You're sitting in a room full of people that you can have a connection with. You are. Start with the church. Start with your local body of believers. I know we got issues. All of us do. But so do you. Start, this, start with somebody next to you. Just eyeball them right now. Okay? And you can think about it. You can be like, I'm going to write that person's name. If you don't know their name, go up to them. Like, I'm sorry, I don't know your name. I've been sitting next to you for like three months. I don't know your name. Can you tell me your name? Because I want to connect with you. It may sound weird in other places, but here it's okay. We've already talked about this. Start with people at the church. Secondly, make the effort. I just feel lonely when I walk in. I get here five minutes after it starts and leave right as it's over. I just don't feel connected. That's your problem. Because we, listen, I lock the doors. I'm here for 30 minutes. Hang out, okay? Turn off a light if you want to, okay? You got time. You get out of it what you put into it in so many ways, relationship-wise. So make an effort. That's you. Don't feel, don't be the victim. Don't play the victim. Jesus took care of our victimhood on the cross, okay? You're not a victim. He was the victim, and now he's the victor, okay? So make the effort. Secondly, or thirdly, start with a meal. It's the most easy way. It's the easiest way to cut out the awkward because you got the waiter showing up at the table. You can stuff your face. So you got natural quiet time where you can think process. What am I going to talk about next? Well, meals work. And also you see, it's a biblical thing. Jesus was hanging out with people at meals all the time. Think about how many scenes in the Bible take place around food. Okay. Gluttony's wrong. Just be clear. Okay. It's saying, but it's okay to get your grub on. Text somebody. I got a, my wife always talks about me. She's got friends, but I got a lot of friends. And I'm not saying that because I'm just necessarily easy to be around. Okay. I got friends because I continually text my friends all the time. In fact, I got guys now that 
we text all the time about and most a lot of them are in ministry and we have a like we text all the time and then when we come when we hit hard times and hard roads and stuff there are people that i text all the time and say hey can i call you and we talk on the phone it's an easy way most of you don't like to talk on the phone but you can text so text to stay connected sometimes the best thing to do is also just send somebody just something dumb just some a good laugh, you know, on your phone now. You have unlimited supply of GIF and memes that are just all out there. Just enjoy some, just give somebody a laugh, and that opens the door. So serve together. It's a lot of times, like, I've been really enjoyed, I know this is going to sound crazy. <laughs> I've really enjoyed remodeling over there in the hot with us getting the building because I'm getting to connect with a whole bunch of guys, and we're doing stuff together that we wouldn't normally do. And you just kind of connect when you shoot a nail gun into things, okay? That's just a guy way of connecting. But when you minister together, there's connections that happen. Also, offer to help. Just you see somebody that needs some help. And we talk about we all need a little help from our friends. Like go to their house and don't expect anything. Help them do a project. And then maybe next time they'll say, hey, can I do a project at your house? Like, come on over. Okay. And, and that's the way it goes. Also, just finally, just commit yourself to a small group, Bible study and discipleship group. We're going to kick those back off in the fall once we get situated in a new place. And there's always a million reasons not to connect. The enemy wants to isolate us. The types we see in scripture is the people of God to not live solo, but to live with one another in relationships. These relationships are not easy. They're often messy. But it's God's way of working. The church is important. Relationships are the church is important. We show our discipleship that we follow Jesus by our love from one another. And if we don't connect with one another, we're not really loving one another. And this all, all these things, I want you to, and this, is, this is my challenge for you today. And as you go through that this week, work to connect. Ask somebody to a meal. Coffee. I get your number, text. Cry out loud, if you don't know the person, ask their name. They probably don't know yours either. <laughs> They're doing that thing where like, hey, how you doing, man? I'm great, gal. Okay. This is like really important. And if you would just remember, one little popper can make a little scorch mark, a little bit of light. But when all those lights come together, you got that 2012 San Diego unbelievable raging fire can't be put out and you and me are the light of the world and part of us burning bright is connecting with each other and connecting with the work of the ministry all of us taking a part all of us taking a hand the glory of god we pray over us and then we're going to take communion together which shows us all of our hope is in jesus all we are one in jesus because of his sacrifices let me pray over us God, thank you for this fellowship. For those who are here today and those who are out on vacation or just not here. Thank you so much for them. Thank you so much that you've called us out of darkness into light. And I thank you for other churches in this town that follow you as well. I'm even thinking about our brothers over at First Baptist, God. I, want you to, I pray that you bless them with fellowship, Lord. As, especially as they're looking for their new pastor. 
God, we come today and we just, we want to connect with each other. We want to connect with other believers. We want to connect with ministry, God. We want to be equipped. We want to burn bright for you. So help all of us. There are impediments in every one of our lives to relationship and connection with one another and with your church. God, help remove those things and let excuses not be what we lean on to get out of it. To get out of what's necessary. To get out of what's healthy. But help us, Lord, we pray. We pray that, I pray that in this, in this room today, if there's someone that doesn't know Christ, that they would see what we've been talking about, that once for all sacrifice, they would see Christ, they would turn from their sins, and they would trust you. Lord, help us to connect with one another in ministry needs. If there's someone that needs prayer today, God, I pray that they wouldn't leave before someone prayed over them. Lord, as we come to this time of communion, we pray that our hearts would be, we would receive it well. We would do it as those who are doing it honorably, representing your sacrifice. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand, and we're going to be dismissed with these words of benediction. You have been given, church, the great hope that's in Jesus Christ. And the writer of Hebrews says this, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir stir one another up to love and good works. We have this great hope, and we have this great task of stirring one another up to good works. Walk in that goodness. You are dismissed. God bless you.